For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Giuseppe Boncore, and my wife and I are born and raised here in Winnipeg, and we're discipled out of West End Christian Community and connected with Gateway. Uh, we live in Thunder Bay. We uh, lead the church in Thunder Bay called the Summit Church, and I've been there for 19 years. I uh, can't believe I, I said that. Wow. And my wife's been there for 18 because we were engaged when I uh, moved out there and we got married the following summer. And uh, we've been there ever since. Our, we have one, one son, he's 15, going on 25. Uh, he's not here this weekend, he's at a volleyball tournament in, in Dryden. Uh, but it's, it's, we were just recounting the other day, just every time we come to visit in Winnipeg, our families are here. And it's like, what, Mateo, our son, he, he, he doesn't relate to Winnipeg as his hometown. How weird is that? <laughs> you know, like he was born in Thunder Bay. The Winnipeg Jets aren't his favorite team. And it's wow. like, what? Oh, what's up with that? <laughs> but he knows the Lord. So it's all, it's, you know, there's hope. There, there's hope. Um, so that's what we're, we're doing there. Um, I've also uh, been part of uh, Church Renewal Network, which is... Uh, uh, actually, there's hundreds of pastors across the country that are connecting and networking and meeting together and talking about the future and what the church looks like going forward. Uh, I'm in going into my third year. So some of what I've got to say today um, just flows out of that. Some of it's my own heart on some things. I don't want to disappoint you at the front end, but this is a topic that can go on for days and days. In fact, I'm thinking about turning this into some kind of a series over five or six weeks. So I've, we've only got enough time just to kind of touch a few quick themes, some of the stuff that we've talked about. It's not going to sound like rocket science to you, but um, like Mark said yesterday, if we lay a hold of it, it's transformative. And that's really what this is about. So, and I'm hoping that I can give you a few nuggets that will help build capacity in your people, strengthen your vision, and uh, advance the mission of your church, the church globally, and then, of course, the local vision that God has given you, and move that forward. So part of the reason uh, uh, that really motivated me to do this workshop, besides being asked, <laughs> which, which is, by the way, really good because it's been on my heart, uh, I can talk about all this stuff for days. It's, it's a passion of mine. Uh, I love, uh, you know, for those of you that know me, um, I don't, I'm not a status quo kind of guy. I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities to move the church forward. It's, I, I love looking into the future and, um, and everything that goes with that. So, and so one of the thing, one of the reasons that this kind of a workshop matters or this kind of discussion matters is because I think most of us realize as leaders that stuff is changing in our society. Canadian society is decoupling itself from the shared, the shared values and, and meanings of the past. Uh, people in the church as well, most of your folks in congregations are probably having a lot of conversations these days about what the government is doing and, and how it's, their laws are impacting the church and policy decisions are creating challenges and all this kind of stuff. The church can really, and it really breaks my heart, to have to say this, and you know, acknowledging this isn't like. I think that's the, you know we're going to talk about changing our mindset, but it's not it's not ceding anything to the enemy. It's not sometimes we have to be able to have a vulnerable conversation about what's really going on, so that we can adjust on how to move forward. So the church can no longer, uh, you know, uh, rely on and assume a welcoming society any longer. 
Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, the church is no longer thought, being thought of as a positive influence on Canadian society, but rather as the root of a lot of root cause of a lot of its problems and issues. Our voice is increasingly no longer welcome within the Canadian public discourse. Uh, you know, the point of today is not to get into all the specific issues on LGBTQ and abortion and all these kinds of things. That's not this workshop. Um, but the church needs to adjust. And how do we do that? What are some things that we need to be thinking about uh, in all of that? And uh, that's what this is about today and this morning. So the church needs to adjust to this new reality so that it can sustain, successfully sustain itself, its vision and its mission into the future. So the first thing that I, I want to kind of touch on with you, and again, it's more of a global theme, in order for the church to begin to adjust, and where do we start? The first place is to, is to renew our mindset. We have to renew our mindset. We have to renew our attitude and the lens through which we see and view everything that's going on. Paul says in Romans 12, uh, to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by, by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I find that interesting because most of us think about the first half of that, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But Paul gives the reason why. He says, in order that you may discern what is the will of God. And so we need to, Paul is saying that we need the renewal in our thinking if we hope to discern the will of God. So we've got all this stuff going on. And in order for us to figure out, because it's getting a lot harder to figure out where God is in it, right? So in order for us to begin to do that, we need to actually have a renewed sense of thinking. And practically, that means we have to find a way to approach and view and put a different lens on what's going on so that we can actually figure out what God is saying to the church in the midst of all of it. So I've got a few more things I want to get to. You know, it's interesting is sometimes uh, Rob Barron is, is, is uh, my, my spiritual dad and Ron McLean is also uh, one of my pastors as well. And both of them provide covering for our church and personal accountability and mentorship and discipleship for me. And, you know, whenever I have those days where, you know, I'm stuck, you know, I had a, you know, I had a bad week and all this is going on. I can't figure out what God is doing and all the blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm doing all of that. And then, man, you know, Rob and Ron both kind of really uh, challenged me with, because I'm thinking, oh, this isn't fair. That's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong and what, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you all, we all have those days and then, on cue, they're like, you know, Giuseppe, you know, you know what you need to do is take it to the Lord and ask him what is in your situation that he wants you to take and learn from. And it forces me to begin to change how I view what's going on. Do you get what I'm saying? And sometimes we need to challenge ourselves with that. They'll ask me to look for God, and so it forces me to go back and pray and do some journaling and ask the Lord. This isn't about what it looks like on the surface, but there's something underneath all of this that you are using to produce something in me. Amen? And that gets to my next point. Why the renewal is really important. Um, James says, you guys all know this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then he says, why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't that interesting? James is saying to get our eyes off what the devil is doing and the way he wants us to view it and look at what God is doing. We need to adjust and renew our thinking to be able to see what God is doing. And how many of you as first instinct or your churches as first instinct when they face adversity, the first thing they say is, this is amazing. You know, and, and your joy just rises up in your heart. You find ways to run from it, avoid it, resist it, all those kind of... Paul and jo- James is saying, no, 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 you guys don't, you don't get it here. You look at it differently. Consider it pure joy because what the enemy is means for harm, God wants to use to produce something in you that brings steadfastness to your faith. And that's part of what we're talking about here. That the church needs to renew, reposition its thinking to embrace adversity instead of, advo- instead of avoiding it because God is in it no matter how bad it looks. So adversity is not naturally something that the church, at least not in North America, that the church is not used to thinking as something to embrace. But to hey, Let's call a prayer meeting. Let's pray this off. Let's call a prayer meeting to ask God to change the prime minister. Let's, uh, let's call a prayer meeting to cut off and reject the devil. Now, the devil's in there. He wants to use it to destroy you. There's steal, kill, and destroy. There's no doubt about it. But the Lord is in there, chain, like using what the enemy is meaning for harm and using it for your own good. And that's where we have to shift, is to begin to look at adversity when it comes to say, all right, there's something coming up here. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to immediately look for God in it and have him speak to me about it and adjust my thinking to what he wants me to do and adjust my decisions and my actions based on what he is asking me to do and what he is moving to do through this that ultimately strengthens my faith. That is a very different mindset. So if we're going to move our churches and our teams, if you lead a home group, if you lead a children's church ministry, if you're a worship leader, you know, whatever subgroup of the church you're leading, uh, or maybe you're not formally leading anything, but you, you've got a number of people in the church that you're discipling, that you do coffee. Well, whatever your sphere of influence is, my encouragement is, and I believe that one of the things that's important in this day, is to help people embrace adversity and, and, and renew their thinking about adversity in a way that focuses them in on the Lord and what the Lord is doing. That there's good. Because if they fear... When we respond out of fear, it leads us to become self-centered and approach adversity with self-preservation as our primary motivator. And as a result, we go into a defensive posture. And that's probably the worst thing we can do. Because what happens is we become fixed, not on what the Lord is doing, but we, become, we, we start looking for the devil under every rock. We, start looking for, we look for him all the time. When we, when we respond out of fear, our focus turns from Christ, and then we turn to, okay, we look for the enemy everywhere so that we can avoid him. And we forget about what the Lord is doing. So we need to, we need to help our people not respond out of the traditional ways that we do and out of fear but to square up ourselves to meet the challenges as they are emerging in our day. We need to do it. I just finished doing a series on realizing your potential, and a lot, a big chunk of it 
was on the power of adversity and how God used adversity to develop the potential within you. And we were going through the story of David. And one of the things I really appreciated about David when he came onto the battle scene and Goliath was there taunting everybody, screaming, shouting, and yelling, and intimidating, and all the rest of it. Everybody, what happened to the Israelites? They were crippled. Because they were too, they were crippled, uh, afraid, and they ended up being shipwrecked. They couldn't move for 40 days and 40 nights because they looked at the adversity that was in front of them and they responded out of fear. The Bible records that. They were afraid. David comes along and he squares himself up, says, who is this guy? He didn't look at David or uh, he didn't look at Goliath for who he was. He looked at God for who he was. And he said, you know, I'm going to come against you and I'm going to kill you. And then David says, no, 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 you come against me with sword and spear, but I'm coming against you with my eyes fixed on God. And because of him and his faithfulness, I'm, today I'm going to have you as the one I'm going to defeat, right? So see the difference when we approach things looking for God and out of what God is wanting us to do, we're able to square ourselves up firmly against the adversity that's in front of us and meet it head on instead of running and crippling ourselves. You guys with me? All right. Um, I'm just going to quickly move along here. I've got way too much here for this <laughs> for this. Um, so the first thing is to renew uh, our mindset. Uh, the other thing I just, I just want to mention that came up um, you know, as I was doing this was uh, I, I love sporting analogies um, uh, just because there's just so much, of, uh, so much relevance with, with Scripture. So you know, when you think about uh, you know, an Olympic athlete or somebody who wants to make the NHL or the NBA or whatever, um, the kind of training and sacrifice and cost that you have to make to get to that level is not something that you want <laughs> to spend your life doing. Uh, you're motivated by the goal. And athletes who want to be the best in their field will go looking for the toughest coaches. They will move clear across the country to find the coach that is not only the most knowledgeable in the sport, but who are going to challenge you, not let you off the hook, uh, you submit yourself to some of the most rigorous training regimens and routines possible. You sacrifice all kinds of things in your life. You're training day and night. It's tough. Your body gets tired. It's mentally exhausting. But we have to approach the emerging trends in our day the same way high-level athletes approach what, they, what their goals and, and, and what they want to do. They look for adversity. They look for training regimens that are tough, that we would consider adverse. Counting cost is adversity. We don't think of those kinds of things. But when something costs you something, to pursue something is a cost. That's adversity because no, nobody wants to count a cost. Nobody wants to pay the cost. Nobody wants to do anything that's tough. The flesh doesn't want to do any of that. That's all adversity. But when you are focused on what the Lord is calling you to do, you're able to identify that by the renewing of your mind. There's a motivation that rises up in you that wants to rise to the challenge that's in front of you. And that's the kind of spirit that we need our people, that we have to shift our people to. All right? Uh, the second thing um, that, that I think is really important when we talk about renewing our churches for the days ahead is we need to renew our dependency again on being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, this might sound like, what, aren't we doing that? You know, we're charismatics here. John 16, right? When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. So we need to get back to being guided by the Holy Spirit and not rely simply on human strategies 
and intuition. So I guess from a charismatic perspective, one of the things that I find myself often with charismatic churches is that there's actually a dependence that some of our people, not everybody, we've built on the, the experience of the Holy Spirit instead of chasing the Holy Spirit and his direction. Um, you know, I often think of like this, this a scene of a paramedic. So someone's, you know, someone collapses on the sidewalk, whatever's going on, somebody calls the paramedics and they come along and take out those big paddles. Those are defibrillators, right? Is that what they call them? Yeah. And, you know, they come along and put them on the chest and jolt of energy comes through and they try it once, try it twice, try it three times. The person kind of revives, starts breathing again and, and his eyes open and he's all excited. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he's, he gets up and he says, man, that felt really, really good. Hit me again. <laughs> And the paramedics, you know, could you imagine, like, if you're a paramedic and the guy, you know, you just revived somebody, they get up, and then they, they say, you know, that, real, that jolt of energy felt really good, so I just want to stand here. Hit me again with those paddles. You would think that that's absolutely nuts. Because the idea of you being revived is so that you can move on and not continue to just stand there and receive those big jolts of energy from the paramedics. We would think that that was absolutely weird, but in a subconscious way, some of our people have gotten used to the Holy Spirit the same way. The Holy Spirit is there, the Bible says. One of the reasons he's here is to guide us into all truth, to lead us through the kinds of things that were emerging in our society. He's not just there to give you an experience. Yes, we experience him. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's wonderful. Yes, that's part of the Christian walk, but that is not the primary reason. I might be talking to the choir here, but your people may not see it that way. And we need to begin to teach them again how to be led by the Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, the Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. Who wants to go into the desert? You just get anointed. You think, oh, well, let's just start. No, he got led into the desert and he got tempted by the end. The Holy Spirit led him into the desert. So the leading of the Holy Spirit um, and, and, and teaching people to th- renew their thinking about following the Holy Spirit is uh, a big part of it because the Holy Spirit wants to move you towards transformation. Thirdly, um, we need to renew the prophetic voice uh, of the church and within the church. I've got some handouts here. Um, you know, p- very practically, uh, and those of you that are part of Gateway, I mean, this is very familiar to you. Uh, but teaching our people how to hear the voice of the Lord. Um, you know, you could pick one up on the way out. How's that? Uh, or unless you want to. <laughs> That's you. I'm, I'm fine. Um, we need to renew the prophetic voice of the church by teaching our people how to hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, we need increased focus and dependency on prayer. Uh, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. We need to begin to teach our people again how to know the promptings of the Spirit, how to hear His voice. Uh, it's more than just going through a list. We must be able to hear the voice of the Lord individually and corporately. Um, and, you know, for some of us that have been around, you know, sort of the charismatic uh, world for quite a while, it's a bit of a shift for us because. Uh, experienced people, on the one hand, need to humble themselves uh, from the been there, done that mentality. I've gone through, I don't know how much training over the years. I know this. We've got to drop that. Um, 
And on the other hand, you've got a bunch of new people that are saved who've never learned how to hear the voice of the Lord. And both opposite sides of the spectrum and everybody in between. And this is something that, that, you know, I've taught our church about how to do because a lot of it is very basic, but it's not about information and the knowledge. It's about application, how to do that, not only individually, but the part that people get hung up on is we need to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord again, not just individually, but corporately. We have to learn how to do that together. So experienced people need to humble themselves because they have to learn how to work with other people in the church. And we've got to learn how to create a system within our local churches that that synchronizes together. Do you get, you get what I'm saying? And I think a lot of people struggle with that. It must be done in a holistic way. So as I said, we need to encourage people, yes, to hear the voice of the Lord individually. Uh, we need to help them develop a strong devotional life. Uh, we need to reinterpret prayer where it's not just going through a list, but we actually spend time uh, doing listening prayer. Uh, so a couple of the tools here, some of you may already have this, but if you don't, I've got some here. There's a couple of, oh, okay, one page on both sides. There's a couple of very simple templates here that if you haven't, if you're looking for a place to start with your people and your teams to teach them how to how to begin to shift their thinking on how to hear from the Lord and get them on that track. There's a couple of tools here. One, one side of it is just sort of a more of a generic kind of tool about sitting down and listening for the Lord and just at learning how to ask the Lord just simple questions. Another one is design uh, more of a scripture tool as you're meditating. Most of us are accustomed to the idea of doing devotions. What a lot of us aren't accustomed to doing is, okay, Lord, what do you want to speak to me about this particular passage today? How do you want, what do you want to say to me? Uh, what do you want me to obey in this today? Is there anything you want me to repent out of this? So that second tool can help you with that. Then the other one here, uh, there's the other handout is the importance of journaling and learning to journal and record your conversations with the Lord. This is a really good uh, sort of summary and outline uh, for your folks to understand why it's important to journal. I'm not going to get into it. We don't have enough time, but you can, you can pick that up there um, and why is it important to renew the prophetic voice because discernment is required to navigate through the changing norms in our society discernment is required because we can no longer trust nor depend as I said on the common shared values of the past to protect and support the place of the church in our society the environment is becoming very unwelcoming even hostile to the church and its voice. And we need to discern the strategies of God for this day to give us and successfully navigate the days ahead. It's amazing how much of our current strategies are built on the assumption that out there is supportive and welcoming of what we're doing. Like take, you know, for example, access to public spaces. In Thunder Bay, there was a church. There's a waterfront park now in Thunder Bay. And there's an area that you can book with the city if you want to have it to, for some special event. One of the churches in Thunder Bay simply wanted to book it to have a barbecue and a picnic. They had some baptisms they wanted to do on the lake, and they were, de they were denied. They were denied access to that sp public space simply because they're a church, and they don't, you know, we, don't, we can't let you have it because we don't want you to offend people if there's people around and all this kind of stuff. Um, what happens if CRTC starts changing rules about radio and television and 
access to television in the airwaves becomes restricted. How many of our ministries are so dependent on television? I think it's a wonderful thing. I hope it never happens. But what if those things get pulled out from under us? Uh, what if you can't post your messages on your website anymore because there's too many groups that are trolling your website and looking for, for things to file lawsuits against you and human rights violations and complaints against What do you do? Right? Um, you know, the Canada Summer Jobs Grant last year, uh, most of you know what happened with that. Uh, I, there's a lot of us that believe that was a trial balloon for uh, charitable status. What happens if charitable status gets pulled? And many of us can't, you know, um, afford our, our properties anymore. We have to sell them, and maybe we've got to start functioning out of houses. That's a, that's a big paradigm shift. So the only way to navigate those questions is not to fret or be fearful, but we've got to start now training our people to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord, restore that prophetic voice, more than just having a meeting so some guy can stand up at the front and prophesy over people. We're talking about learning how to get a hold of God again corporately, so, Lord, what do we do? Our charitable status just got pulled. What do you want us to do? If we don't know how to ask the question of the Lord and we don't know how to listen and hear the voice of God, we're not going to know what to do. So we have to, this is the important, we need the prophetic voice uh, in order to move us forward and find those strategies. Because we can't assume anymore that society is going to let us function and build strategies and implement those strategies with the freedom that we've had all these years and decades. I know it sounds a bit down, but it's true. So we have, to, we have to be able to renew that. And lastly, um, the, one of the primary ways to help shift the church um, to function in this new environment, and this is a word that we all know about renewing our commitment to discipleship. I believe that Jesus in Matthew 28 gave us the answer that's foolproof in Matthew 28. It's proven discipleship and a culture of discipleship is proven to withstand any government of the day, any social philosophy, any laws that are contrary to the church, persecution, political systems, whether it's socialism, communism, dictatorships, democracies, uh, chaos, whatever environment it is, discipleship can withstand all of it. And I was just having a conversation with somebody this morning. Really, it's only in North America and Western Europe in the last 150, couple of hundred years that democracy and that freedom that we have in democracy uh, has really existed. Most of the rest of history, the church has had to learn to advance itself, multiply itself, grow and move forward within contexts that are very unfavorable, where the conditions are very resistant to the church right, functioning in the mission of God. What if all these years that we've been praying, God, renew our nation, renew our nation, bring revival back to Canada. What if all of this adversity God is allowing because he's actually answering those prayers? Because God knows that sometimes a little bit of pressure can turn charcoal into diamonds. And a little bit of pressure on the church can force the church to realign itself back to the ways that God... And we're not talking about new strategies. We're talking about going back to old strategies that we've forgotten because things have been so different and comfortable. But what if all this emerging stuff that's going on out there um, and the coming persecution and all these kinds of things are God's answer to those prayers? 
there's a there's a renewed way of thinking right and so how are we going to respond to that um, you know before the Lord and I think discipleship is one of those strategies that when persecution comes the church automatically moves to because it doesn't require anything in society to be welcoming or supportive of what you're doing right I was reading an article maybe you have too I was reading an article I don't know more where it was Charisma magazine or something like that but it's been in a number of places about what's happening in Iran there's been lots of reports and articles these days I should have brought a copy of the one I was reading but I didn't my apologies fastest growing church in the world is in China and Iran and they put Iran first and I mean Iran is probably the most hostile environment and there's some pastors Fox actually Fox News did a documentary it's an hour and a half documentary I happened to as I was googling about this I found this video documentary actually see if you can find it there's some pastors in Iran www.godreports.com yeah that's probably it there and www.godreports.com documentary that's done of what's happening in Iran. It's absolutely powerful of how there's actually it's the fastest growing church in the world right now. Yeah. But what's doing it is clear, purely actually it's women who are becoming just on fire as disciples. They're just they're actually yeah. passionate. Uh, but they're hearing God. Their their principles, they're not there is no formal of church. There is no structure they're doing it. They're just simply going and preaching the gospel and sharing yeah. and doing what they think the Bible says to live like. Yeah. Cool. And there were, there were in this video, um, there were three or four pastors from Iran that they met. They were out of the country and they met them in Malaysia or Indonesia, one of those places, and they, they filmed them and they were doing interviews. And they Shoot were... Among wolves is the action. Yeah, and, and they were saying, you know, we disciple people. We just get... We, we, we meet people one-on-one and we disciple them house to house. They don't have they don't they don't have the ability to meet have five hundred people meet in a place and do that. So so discipling exactly. So it's all discipleship that's moving that forward. And I think there's something in that that God wants to restore in North America. Hopefully, it's not going to get as restrictive as some of those places. But I, I really do believe that there is an element of getting back to pure discipleship as a primary driver that I think the Lord wants us to get, get back to. Um, you know, part of the reason that discipleship works is it's relational. Um, we can all build relationship. It doesn't require lots of money. It doesn't require big venues. It doesn't require fancy systems and lights and all this kind of stuff that we've gotten used to. By the way, I'm not dissing any of that. But when, our, when, when God has, puts us in an environment that gives freedom to that, wonderful. Use it, take advantage of it, leverage it. But when, the adva- when, when that environment starts to change, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to oversimplify it, but the only thing that really works in any environment is discipleship. So we need to get back because discipleship goes beyond teaching and absorbing information, which is where a lot of us are used to. So, um, you know, anyone that's, wishing to let's say become a hockey player you can read about hockey and how to be a hockey player and how to skate but unless you actually do it you don't actually learn how to skate in a stick handle so we have to move beyond absorbing and teaching information it's important it's necessary and it's part of it Uh, but sometimes the way we're set up doesn't move people beyond just information there's a lot of people in our churches that just come they love to hear a good message 
And that's not everybody, but there's a lot of people. But we have to, discipleship goes beyond it because now you're bringing, you're moving people from absorbing information to application. Because uh, if in the 21st century we have the greatest access to information we've ever had in, in the world's history, and if it was just about information, we should have the most mature, devoted disciples all over the globe, and we don't. Fact is probably the opposite. We've become more complacent than we've ever been, because we're not we're not teaching them how to apply. So that's the other advantage. Application requires preparation. We have to teach people how to you know. Like if somebody says, "Well, I believe God's called me to be a preacher." Okay, great. Well, you're not going to just start to give them the pulpit next week, and you guys, well, let's let's work on this. Let's work on your character. Let's work on your prayer life. Uh, let's maybe, you know, have you do a few teachings in your home group and get your feet wet. There's all kinds of preparatory things to do that require someone to come alongside somebody. Uh, feedback is next necessary. You can provide feedback in discipleship so that you can kind of guide people. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do some things well. And without that discipleship context, they don't learn how to how to stay between the, you know, the guardrails of Scripture and the Spirit and all those kinds of things. Uh, the other advantage of discipleship is it's necessary for imparting DNA. One of my favorite scriptures is actually an opening to one of Paul's letters <laughs> to Timothy. And, it doesn't, and he says in 1 Timothy 1-2, he says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. That's one of my favorite verses. Uh, when I start thinking about discipleship. Because here's implied in all of that is, is without it having to be said, there, there's, he met Timothy somewhere along the way. He was a young kid somewhere. And he wasn't a son when Paul met him. So he walked with him for a number of years, discipled him. And he grew to a place where everything that was in Paul, Paul's heart for the gospel, the heart of God that Paul knew, uh, not just information about the scriptures, but he imparted to Timothy Paul's way of thinking, his DNA. That is only transferable from person to person. You cannot transfer DNA simply by reading something. You need to spend time with people. And Paul took the time to impart to Timothy his heart and the heart of God as he understood it into Timothy. And it brought Timothy to a point where he became a true son in the faith and he was able to release Timothy to go and work with churches, set things straight, put elders in place, correct things, Titus as well. Um, so we see these wonderful examples of, because DNA <coughs> is caught, it's not taught. And if people are going to get, pick up the heart of God, you can talk about lots of themes, generosity and love, but you know what? When you see your mentor loving people, that's when you catch it, not just when they say it. My son, you know, we were talking about a different subject the other day, but my son is going to learn how to respect his wife in the future, by, not by, son, this is what you've got to do, although it's good to teach them, but he's going to learn it by the way I treat my wife. He's going to see when I have a bad day and I come home and I'm able to not let my, my bad day and I still give my wife a hug and a kiss and how's your day. He's going to catch how to be an honorable husband by me doing it, not just saying it. Now, we all know that, but that is a big part of discipleship that I think the church needs to restore, is we need to provide environments 
in discipleship or through discipleship where we allow people to catch the Spirit of God and not just teach it. And the only way to do that is you've got to invest time with people. You've got to get, you've got to get around people in your church and you've got to give them opportunity to get around you. So whether you're in a home group, um, you know, leading a worship team ministry, don't think that, oh, that's just for the pastor and the elders to do. Take time. If you're a worship leader, maybe take out members of your team once in a while for coffee, once a month. How are you doing? Um, how can I pray for you? People in, like my wife and I, we, we run, actually run two home groups. Uh, we try to do that at least once a month to touch base with people in our group. How are you doing? Uh, well, how can we pray for you? How can we help you, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. We want to get into their lives and we want to give them opportunity to, to, get in, to get in with us so that we can communicate and pass that, that, uh, that DNA. Anyways, so just getting to the end. So what are some practical things? Uh, we can do to apply some of this stuff. I know that I'm moving really quickly here. One is envision your team as to why renewal in these days is essential. Uh, if you remember the original Karate Kid movie, I don't know if I remember, 1984, I think, and then, you know, he was wax on, wax off, and paint the fence and sand the floor and all, and, and Daniel was just getting so frustrated. I think he reflects a lot of the ways that people in our churches often feel. It's like, why am I learning all of this? How does this... We have to help people connect what they're being taught to what the bigger picture is if you're going to motivate them. And then, you know, so he goes to Mr. Miyagi, right? I'm tired of painting, you know, doing your chores and painting your fence and waxing your car and doing this and doing that. And then Mr. Miyagi, you know, he looks at him eyeball to eyeball and he says, show me sand the floor. And then, he, you know, he throws a punch at him and then Danielson makes the movement. And then you can, the powerful part of that movie is when it finally, when the lights finally went on all the way to the top floor in Daniel. And he's like, whoa. You just transformed me from a guy who didn't know karate to a guy who knows how to, how to fight. All this, Our people need that as well. We need to stop along the way every once in a while. And we need to connect the big picture. Connect them to the big picture. Connect what you're teaching and what you're doing to the big picture. Why did, answer the why question every once in a while. Why is it important that we learn the prophetic? So as you, as you help them teach this, learn how to do this they want to know why okay i can do this i'm journaling i'm doing all this stuff why why is it important why does it matter to the church why does it matter and how does it help us become uh you know more insulated and and more uh, bold uh and, and how does it help us face the emerging trends that are going on out there so we have to continue to paint the big picture so envision your teams as I said earlier, create space within your teams. Practice listening prayer together, not just individually. Take the time, like our worship team, for example, uh, she takes the first 20 minutes and they don't practice any songs. They pray, they do some listening prayers and they share what they get and they pray about it. Make room for that. Um, so don't just encourage people to do it individually. Practice it in whatever your sphere is. Invest, as I mentioned earlier, invest time with individual members of your teams to ensure the paradigm shift becomes a part of their lives so they're living it. And then also take the time to practice devotional leadership yourself. You can never disciple somebody into something that you're not yourself doing. So you've got to live it and you've got to make yourself accountable to doing it. So ensure your own personal devotion is accountable 
to somebody. Don't ask people to be accountable to you if you're not accountable to somebody else. So that's really key. And believe me, and I know that you guys know this, I'm preaching to the choir, your people will know and they will sniff out a hypocrite. And if you're teaching them something, and they, they'll know if you're not doing it. And if you're telling them to be accountable to you, and you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, and then you're not accountable for it yourself, they know. So they'll pick that up. So if you want people to learn how to, how to be committed to it, you've got to model it. If you want people to be accountable and discipleship to it, then you've got to be a disciple yourself. I tell my people that all the time. I'm on the phone with Rob or Ron a few times a month, at least. And uh, my people know that. I tell them that. It's like, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not doing myself. I make sure they come so that it's not like, who are these guys? Is like Snuffleupagus on Sesame Street. Is he real? Is he not real? Are you, you know, are you just telling us this? Or are these people real? You know? So Ron and Rob come, and then we talk about that. And I, and I said, you know, these are the guys I actually talk to. And, you know, and we'll talk about that. So it's really important that you model that and develop it. Uh, for yourself. Wow, I actually did all that in 40 minutes. Uh, so there's quite a bit there. You know what? Each one of those points can be a sermon on itself and a topic on itself. But uh, I'm hoping that um, that gives you a bit of a sense. We, were, we, we needed to do some practicum, but we've got four minutes left. So if you want to, uh, what I was going to ask you guys to do is just maybe with two or three people around you, I got a few questions here. Uh, one is, you know, identify one mindset in you that you feel uh, needs to be renewed in whatever situation you're facing. Number two, identify one practical step that you can take uh, to increase dependency on the Spirit personally and or on your team. Uh, number three, how can you begin to take, a, to take practical steps towards discipling people in your teams or your sphere? of responsibility. Did you guys get all that? Well, if you want to take the last few minutes and maybe just, just, maybe just with the people around you and just kind of do that. Uh, any questions about that? Anything that I mentioned or said? Did it kind of resonate? Does this kind of make sense? Was it somewhat useful? What was the second um, question? Um, identify one practical step you can take to increase dependency on the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit. And you actually, those questions you can take that home as well, and just kind of do some, do some prayer around that, do some reflection on that with the Lord, do some journaling on that. Uh, worth the exercise. And then invite you do it yourself, and then invite your team to do that as well. And you'd be amazing at the kinds of things that come up that the Holy Spirit will prompt that you could never say out of your own mouth. It's really cool when we give God room. And prayer meetings, I know Gateway and most of you that, are, that come here, you guys are used to that already. But in many, many churches, prayer meetings are about lists, praying through them, and there's very little opportunity or space created for God to actually say something. So, uh, and then when he does, we've found in our church that some of the stuff that comes out that God is saying to people is absolutely amazing. And it, it's like, why did I have that list in the first place? This list is better. Because now you've got a list that God actually spoke to people's hearts about. And the prayer engagement is a whole lot different when it's something that the Lord's prompted than, someone, than something you just come into a meeting with. So anyways, so that's a little bit of our experience. 
as well.